person, there's one person in this church who will remain nameless, but his initials are my brother David. <laughs> that all you had to say, you try this. I told mom, try this at home. If you ever can't sleep, just say, open your Bibles too. It'll be out. <laughs> I mean, mouth open, catching flies out like a light. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, <coughs> I'm, I'm excited about this. This uh, where, we're, where we're going in this catechism because it does such a good job in laying the foundation. So we're going to talk today. Um, hmm. Okay, that works. That's fine. I want you to take your Bibles and find your way to Matthew's Gospel, 22nd chapter. All right, Matthew 22. And uh, we're going to look today at some, uh, what I call, we're entering into in this catechism, an area of dangerous waters. Uh, we're, we're, we're heading into some dangerous waters, and here's why. Let me ask you a question. Where do bad people go when they die? What, what, what do we taught our kids? They go to hell. Where do good people go? Now, that whole argument hinges on two definitions, right? And those definitions are what? Bad and good. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to promise you we, when we say that, we have a different definition of bad and good than you will find in this book. And that's a big, big problem. Yes? Here's the truth. Can I, can I, can I share some truth with you this morning? Hell is going to be filled with good religious people. People that came to church on Sunday. People that taught Sunday school. People that preached behind the pulpit. People that tithed 10% of everything they had. I mean, good night, the Pharisees. Jesus, Jesus said, man, you, people, you guys, you tithe out of your spice cabinet. Okay, but you have totally missed the greater things in the law. Hell is going to be filled with good people. All right. And you know, I, I got a newsflash for you. There's going to be some bad people in heaven. I'm using our definition of good and bad. Okay, so those definitions that we're using, all good people go to heaven, all bad people go to hell. There's going to be some people that you define as bad, they're going to be in heaven. That's just the fact. By the way, if there weren't going to be bad people in heaven, well, newsflash for you, nobody in this room is going. Right? Isn't it funny how we define bad and we usually make ourselves the standard? And we define good and we make ourselves the standard? Probably not a good standard. But here's, here's what I want to say. There's been a lot of debate in church and Christendom. And there's a big one going. It's, all, it's forever going. never ends. Over the law of God, its purpose, and, and how does the gospel of grace and the law of God what kind of relationship do they have, if any? And I want to, I'm going to take my time in doing this. This is just, and boy, this catechism lays it out beautifully, so I don't feel like i got to put it all into one sermon, because we're going to spend several weeks on God's law, and we're going to get into the, into the details of each one, so I don't feel like i got to do that today either. So this is kind of like a big overview. I've entitled, as you see it on the screen, The Key to the Law of God. There is a key that unlocks the law. All right? And, and, and it's true. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. 
Um, the key, there's a key that unlocks perfect obedience to the law of God. But there's also some bad news <laughs> that becomes quickly evident in this key, and I'm going to be really honest about it. There's nothing worse in the world than a lying preacher. I'm going to tell you the truth about the bad news of this good news. Then I'm going to tell you the good news about the bad news of the good news. Because I always want to end with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? By which we are all saved. So are you in Matthew 22? Yes. All right, well, I'm not. Let me get there myself. Let's find Matthew. That's the first one, right? And I'm, I'm going to lay some stuff on you that's going to... I want you to not... Boy, you won't hear this in church from a preacher very often. <laughs> but if you've been here a while, you've heard it before. I'm going to challenge you to not believe a word I'm saying. You go check it out for yourself. You got the same Bible I got. Hear me. And then you go see if I'm crazy or if maybe I'm right. Because I'll tell you what, Elizabeth will tell you I am fallible. All right? So don't take for granted what I'm saying. Go study it out for yourself. Take some notes. Go home and look at it. Uh, it's vital that we do that. All right, so here we are in Matthew 22, and we're going to start in verse... Um, let's actually back up to 34, because it's kind of funny. The context of this is... I'm going to show you the brilliance of our Savior. Jesus Christ was brilliant. I mean, in his argumentation... Uh, and, it, and I don't think, well, it was because he was God, but it's because he had this perfect relationship with the law because he, he made the law and he loved the Father perfectly. And so he had this beautiful thing going on with the law and, so, and he had this brilliance in his, in his intellect and his argumentation. I'm going to show you that today. Verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. Now, I'm sorry, let me explain a little bit real quick about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They did not like each other. They were both religious people in a sense. But the Pharisees concentrated more on the theological aspects of the law and the Sadducees more on the, on, on the uh, legal parts of the law. Okay, And for, for example, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They had a real big problem with that um, because they were all about physical, how does the law of God apply to earth today? And the Pharisees, they were more into the spiritual, theological portions of the law, and the two groups hated each other. So what happened is, and there's not time to go into it, but go home and read it. The Pharisees asked this dumb question of Jesus about you know, who, whose wife or, or who's, who's going to be the husband of this lady in the afterlife? And there's a lot of historical context to that. And basically what Jesus says is, you guys don't know anything. And he explains to them what things are going to be like you know, in the, in the ultimate kingdom of God when God pulls a plug on human history. And the Bible says in there, uh, verse 33, and when the multitudes heard his teaching, they were astonished at his teaching. And then it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, and it's really cool as I did a little worse than that, the word silence, we... It's translated nicely here. It literally means muzzled. He put a muzzle on the, on the Sadducees. And the Pharisees were thrilled. I mean, they were giddy. But they said, now's our chance to both damage the reputation 
of this Yeshua, that's what they would have called him, of Nazareth, and also really stick it to the Sadducees. So we're going to trick him. We're going to trip him up. So they said, so what they did, they gathered together, and then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, and saying, look at the question, verse 36. Teacher, which is the what? Great commandment in the law. Which of the commandments is the greatest? Now, <coughs> let me explain to you something here. Um, they were trying to trip him up. Now, that was a catechism question. You know, we're doing a catechism question and answer. That's something that children would have been taught from a very young age in a Jewish culture. Um, so that was kind of a given answer. However, it was, being, it was culturally at that time being debated between two very prominent rabbis, Shemael and Gamaliel. And they had two, they, they, were, they, they differed on which was the great commandment. And they were splitting hairs. I mean, it, it was really an issue. But here was their point. Their point was if they could get Jesus to elevate one command over another, they could accuse him of blasphemy and, put him, and have him put to death. That was their goal. Okay? So um, he asked this question, which they asked of themselves in private and debated hotly the answer to it. What's the most important commandment? Now, let me just back up here and bring us back to our culture. When I say the law of God, what's, what do you think of? The, the Ten Commandments. Y'all can talk. It's okay. This is a different kind of church. The Ten Commandments, right? How many of you realize, though, that the law, the Ten Commandments is, is like the essential oils of the law? You know how essential oils are made? Uh, for instance, peppermint, you take like a ton of peppermint and you, I don't think you boil it down, but you do something to it that extracts the oils that are essential to it. And I know like, like for instance, this, this peppermint oil that we've used in the past, great for headaches, by the way, that one drop of it is the equivalent of 50 cups of peppermint tea. It's so, matter of fact, it can be dangerous. It's all distilled down to its essence in one little tiny drop. What Jesus did is he did the essential oil trick on the law, and, and that's what the Ten Commandments is through Moses. They took all the whole law of God, and they boiled it down. They distilled it down to basically ten rules, ten commands for us to follow. And in the ensuing weeks, we're going to look at those. Um, and, and, but outside of that, did you know there was a lot more laws than ten? I mean, like a bunch. Matter of fact, let's look at that next slide. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, here now, before we do, let me show you this. This is the adult version of the catechism, or they call it the long version. It's in your bulletin, by the way. What does the law of God require? Personal. That means you have to do it. Perfect. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> Who said can't do it? Hans Stanley. We got an usher here. Can send him out now. <laughs> yeah, perfect means you got to do it all the time, and then perpetual—that's continually. Perfect means you can't break it in any sense, and then perpetual means all the time. So you have to perfectly, perpetually obey God's law. And what is it that we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves? And I like this addition what they put in here. What God forbids should never be done. Do we disagree with that? No. And what God commands should always be done. Right? 
works. Hey, those of you that have children, that's your rule in your house. What you forbid should never be done, and what you command should always be done. Now, your children, do they always live up to that? No. You know why? Sin. Yeah, and guess where they got their sin from? You! So have some grace on those kids, okay? They're the way they are because you're the way you are. So, so you, you need to parent them from a stance of, of what I call gracious authority. Realizing that you, you and they, y'all are not much different. Okay? So remember that. That was free. That wasn't in the sermon notes today. All right, let's go to that next one, Sam. And here's what I want to show you, the key to the law. There were 20, 200, you might want to jot this down somewhere. There are 248 affirmative laws that, that, that they came up with um, through the scriptures and then adding things to it to make sure that you don't break them. 248 affirmative laws, and it just so happened that apparently these Pharisees and Sadducees, they were big into symbolism. And in their day, they, they counted 248 members of the human body. So you got 10 between your fingers, 10 in your toes, so there's 20. They counted up 248 members of your body, and so there's one law to govern each member of your body, so that your whole self should always obey the commands of God. Kind of cool. Uh, here's the next one. There's 365 negative laws. What do you think that relates to? Yeah. For every day of the, of, the, of the year, there's something you should not do. Actually, there's 365 somethings you should not do. <coughs> All right. And then the next, this is interesting. The next screen, I think I put it up there. Yeah, check this out. You add them all together, you come up with 613. Believe it or not, that's the number of letters in, the, in what's called the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. Now, those are Hebrew letters, very different than ours. So, I mean, were these guys, these guys were into symbolism, right? Big time. So there are 613 laws, and yet when you think of the law of God, how many do you think of? Imagine that. Just chew on that. What does that mean for us? It's, 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 a, it's a fascinating concept. Um, but that's a lot of laws. So the Ten Commandments, what happened, God so brilliantly did this for them, is he, he just distilled them. You take all those 613 laws, you distill them down, and you come up with ten core commands that if you do those ten, the 613 take care of themselves. Isn't that cool? Here's the problem. Ten's a lot to remember. <laughs> I mean, really, ten things are a lot to remember. They just really are. So Jesus is going to come along and he's going to distill, this is, he is so brilliant. He's going to distill the 10 down to two. And then really, if you listen to what he's saying, the two, become, the two are the same thing. There's one key to perfect obedience. And he's going to brilliantly share it. And at the same time, he is going to backhand the Pharisees and reveal how they are so very much breaking that law in relation to the Messiah. Jesus is amazing. Amazing. And I'm going to show that to you this morning. So let's look at the first thing that he says in verse, I'll find it here. What verse are we on? 37. Teacher, what's the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Now, if you've got a, a Bible like mine, 
That should be in italics. And, and whenever you see it in italics, you know why, what that means? It's a direct quotation of the Old Testament. So hold that, and I'm going to show you where that is in a second. And he says, this is the first and great commandment. Now, interesting to me, maybe not to you, I thought this was interesting. When they said, what is the great commandment? They didn't say the greatest, the greatest. That would be what we call a superlative. You know, the best of all the commandments. They just asked, which one comes first? So it wasn't a superlative. It wasn't the very, you know, tip top. They just want to know which one should come in order first. Should we concentrate on the most? And Jesus says what? what what's, the, what's the great commandment in the law? Love who? Yeah. Now notice these words. In your Bible, Lord should be capitalized all the way through. Is it? Yeah. And that, what does that mean, church? What name for God is that? It's Jehovah. Whenever you see all capitals, it's, it's Jehovah. They would never have called it that. In Hebrew culture, they would have called it Yahweh. And we don't even know if that's right because they so respected and revered that, that name of God that they threw the vowels out. We don't even know what, what it's really pronounced. Yeah, they just threw all the vowels out. Even, even to this day, when a Jewish person writes in English, God, they'll put G-D. And I'll explain to you in ensuing weeks why that is. It has everything to do with, um, oh, I should know my commandments better than this. I want to say it's the third commandment, not to take the name of the Lord in vain. I'll, I'll tell you why that is later. But they had a tremendous reverence. And it was the covenant name of God for Israel. It was God's promise-keeping name. And that was a big deal to them. Okay? So the Lord, and then what does that next word say? Your. Now that's an important word. What does that indicate to you? Possessive. Yeah, we call that the genitive uh, a form of a, of a noun. That means, that means possession. The Lord, your what? God. Okay? So he belongs to who? You, which means you belong to who? Him. And that's the one you should love. Let me tell you the greatest commandment. Love God, who's yours. Does he end there? No, what's he, what, does he, what, what does he add? Yeah, yeah. Then he adds this whole thing. With all your heart, soul, and mind, and another, <coughs> excuse me, in another uh, place is all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All right? He, why does he add that? Why is it just love the Lord your God enough? Uh, what's that? That's right. That's all of you. <laughs> I like that. It's all in. He wants, oh, by the way, we compartmentalize our life and we compartmentalize our love. And that's fake. By the way, that will bite you so fast. And, and, and we do it all the time. Our politicians do it. Our leaders do it. We do it. We're one thing one place and we're something else another place. You know, you know what the definition of integrity is? It comes from the, the Latin word integer, which means whole or one. In other words, you're the same. Integrity means you're the same everywhere. And what Jesus is saying here is you need to love the covenant God who belongs to you with all that you are. Heart, that's the emotions. Soul, that's the... Um, <coughs> that's the spiritual part of you 
That's, your, that's where, your, where life really happens. It's in your soul. It's your personality. Uh, I told someone the other day I took a personality test and discovered I had five. <laughs> that was better than that. That reaction was terrible. And then, and then your mind. That's your thinking. Boy, I could preach a whole sermon. I won't, but I could preach a whole sermon on that. How much of my thinking could be said to be loving of God? Or how much junk do I allow in there? Woo! All right, where am I? Um, so that's it. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every, it's, a, it's a wholeness. With everything, no compartmentalizing, all that you are is a response of love to the one who created and redeemed you. That's what Jesus is saying. Right? Where does that come from? Remember that italicized thing? It comes from Deuteronomy 6.5. I think that comes up here. Does it? Yeah. Nope, that's not it. Back up one. That's Deuteronomy 6.5. This is the quote. This is where Jesus got it from. That's why it's in italics in your Bible. He's quoting the Old Testament. By the way, let me just put a little window of context in here for you. The Pharisees and Sadducees were experts in the Old Testament. Specifically, the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Matter of fact, they had, they had those, I didn't say chapters, books committed to memory. They memorized them by age 13. These guys, when Jesus pulled this out, their mind went exactly to Deuteronomy. Now, there was no chapters and verses. They just memorized the whole text. They went right there. They, they, they got it. And he pulls out of the Old Testament. So you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Psalm 103.1, David said this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and listen to this, and all that is within me. How much of me? All of me bless his holy name. There's a wholeness here. So with our whole heart, with our whole life, with our whole being, we are commanded to love our creator and our covenant-keeping God. That makes sense to me. I think that's a good idea. But he doesn't stop there. They only, notice here, Jesus is brilliant. They only ask him, what's, what's, what's the number one commandment? Oh, you know what I found interesting about this? Just me thinking, I'm not a Jew, but I'm thinking he's going to pull from the Ten Commandments. I think they might have been thinking that too. He doesn't. He goes outside of that to these other one of the other 613. I thought that was pretty interesting. But Jesus isn't done with them. Then Jesus said to them, oh, or verse 39, and the second is like it. Now let me ask you, did they ask him what the first two were? And what the order was? No, they just said, we want to know what's the, what's the top commandment. But Jesus puts an addition in here. And <laughs> what's the addition? Uh, um, that's the greatest one. And the second one is not too different. The second one is like it. In other words, the core component of these two commands are the same. It's just the objects are different. Check it out. Here it is. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Woo, that's interesting. And by the way, that should be italicized. Now go ahead and pull that next one up. That comes from Leviticus. Uh, 
1918. And here's what it says. This is right out of the Old Testament, the law. They would have had this memorized. You shall not take vengeance. Oh, can we just stop right there? Okay, we could just read that and have an altar call. And every one of you should be on your face before God. And I'll be the leader. You know, I don't get mad and I don't get even. I come out ahead. Okay? Even as a kid, people knew, don't mess with him. Guy's a crazy man. Vengeance. Don't take vengeance. That's not yours. It's too hot for you to handle. Nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. Are you kidding me, God? Okay, so I can't, I can't get back at them, but, but now you're going to take it internal? I can't even hold a grudge against them? God said, nope. Oh, my word. What's that? I said, that's no fun. That's no fun. <laughs> wow. But, now that but is a contrast. You shall love your... Imagine that, neighbor, just like you love who? Yourself. Important that God's, God says, oh, and by the way, I am the Lord, not you. That's the parenthesis, but it's in there. <laughs> I'm the Lord, not you. In other words, this is a good idea. I know this grates against everything that's in you, but I'm God, you're not. So stop holding grudges and stop trying to get back after people. Love your neighbor as you love who? By the way, I'm just going to make a statement here. There's way too much out there, but oh, you got to love yourself. Stop it. Just stop. You love yourself normally and naturally, and that's exactly what this scripture is saying. There ain't a person in the world that hates himself. And I have people come back and say, oh, preacher, what about people that commit suicide? That's the ultimate act of self-love. That means I love myself so much, to hell with the rest of you. I know you can't say that in church. I've dealt with people who have done that. And that's exactly the message that they're sending to the world. I love myself so much, forget the rest of you. That's, that's the ultimate act of self-love. I'm going to tell you what, self-love taken that far is sinful. How much does your self-love hurt you and your relationships? However, is it not normal and natural to love yourself? You bet. You say, oh, I don't love myself. Really? You ever stubbed your toe in the night going to the bathroom? Heading that way? I guarantee you love yourself. Man alive. You come unglued and the whole world is focused on that little toe. Right? right? Why? Because you love yourself. What is it? And oh, Jesus, God is so wise to put this out there like that. Because we understand that. Because it's normal and natural. That little baby right there loves herself. And she doesn't even have the concept of it, but, but she has the consistency of it. So how do you know? Because when she wants something, what's she do? She squalls until she gets what she wants. Because what she wants is part of her love and herself. We're all born that way. And, and it's not wrong initially. And that's not how the sense he's using it here. He's saying it is normal and natural, just like breathing, to love yourself. And what does that mean? You take care of you. And you do. When you're hungry, you what? When you're sad, you cry. You should cry. When you're happy, we take care of self, right? When we have a need, we stop the whole world to meet it. And all Jesus is saying here is, hey, that's what you do with everybody, you ready for this, who's not you. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I thought that was funny too. Uh, who's your neighbor? You should write this down. Everybody who's not you. I'm going to say it again. Who's your neighbor? 
That's right. Everyone's not me as my neighbor. Man, that's problematic. Because there's a, can I just be honest up in here today? There's a lot of jerky people in the world today who aren't me. Okay, you, I'm sorry if, you, if, if you're not used to honesty. There's a lot of boneheaded people out there who aren't me. And I'm supposed to, as naturally as breathing, love them. Really? God, you really want that to happen? Yep. That's the second half of this law. And that is problematic for all of us. All right? And, and don't think that's an Old Testament. We do this, man, especially as New Testament gospel-loving, grace-preaching preachers. We say, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, guess what? Let's pop over to 1 John 4 and verse 20. By the way, if, if you never want your feelings hurt spiritually, don't ever read 1 John. I mean, for a nice guy and a beloved disciple and all that, that is a he is a professional toe stomper. I mean, you read that, you will get your feelings hurt. Because look what it's, he's just so honest. 1 John 4.20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, boy, don't sugarcoat this for us, John. He's a liar. Oh. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? Good night. This stuff is tough, isn't it? Wow. John calls us out. Hey, no, no, don't be saying you love God and you hate your brother. You I mean, you can see him, and if you can't love him, don't tell me you love God who you can't see. Man. Okay. Let me quickly run through this because I think it's pretty important. Um, verse 40. So you got these two commands. Love God, love people. With everything that you are, right? Love them, love God, and love your neighbor as naturally as breathing. Forty. On these two commandments, love God, love people, hang all the law and the prophets. So let me tell you about the two tables of the law. I'll come up here on the screen. The two tables of the law. There's two, that means to two sides. You've seen that picture of the Ten Commandments up there? There's one side, and then there's the other side. We got a paint um, on our wall out here in the front of the church, uh, outside. Look at it. There's always four on one side and six on the other. And, and, and they call that... Now, I don't, I'm pretty sure that Moses didn't have like one tablet. I, he, he literally, when he came down from the mountain, he had two tablets of stone. All right, so there was the, they call it the first tablet and the second table, the first table and the second table. And on the first table was only the first four commandments. And I'm not going to get into it because I've got plenty of time in suing weeks to do that. But let me suffice it to say, all of those first four commandments, first table of the law, they are all the things that pertain from man's relationship and responsibilities to God. And we'll call that, for the sake of clarity, the vertical. The vertical responsibilities that allow a relationship and that relationship to God. There's so much in there. Why, why God first? Because God should be first, right? Okay, and here's the second one. Uh, five, through, five through 10 is 
deals with all the relationships of man to man. Your relationships with everybody who's not you. And there's a lot of stuff that they say in there. And what Jesus is saying here is that if you love God with everything that you are, and if you love your neighbor as naturally as breathing, just like you love yourself and look out for you, then the whole law, all, get this, 613 rules are taken care of. So he distills it down to two. And he says, on these two hang all the laws and the prophets. Now, that was a cultural term. Um, the city gates, you hear a lot about gates. Uh, David would sing a song in the Psalms, that lift up your head, O ye gates. Here's why. The, uh, the gates to the city, when, when we hang gates, we put the hinges where? On the side. When they hung gates, the hinges went on the top. And that's why he said lift up your heads because it looked like a, a giant lifting up his head when those gates were lifted up with the counterweights in the back. And you literally hung the gates of a city because the, 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 the hinges were on the top. And what Jesus was saying is you take the whole law, all 613 of them, and there's two hinges that hold them up. And they are simply this, love God and love everybody who's not you. That's it. Now, how did that <coughs> put the finger in the eye of the Pharisees? And why did Jesus add that second one? <laughs> well, there's a really good reason. Um, and Romans 10.13 starts off by saying, love does no harm to a neighbor. What were they trying to do to Jesus? Execute him. Were they being loving toward their neighbor? And that was not lost on the crowd. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say they stopped questioning him after that. <laughs> they said, no more questions for him. Because we're trying to make him look bad and we're only making ourselves look bad. And by the way, this is free, not in the sermon, but um, <laughs> you question God long enough and you're the one that's going to look bad, not him. Amen. Right? Um, you, you try to trip God up and, and you end up getting entangled in your own devices. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, here's the thing, though. I said he distilled it down to two laws. And they are two laws, but they're one essential. Anyone figured out what the one essential is? That's it. Next screen. Love. Love. The whole law is summed up in one word, and it's simply love. Now, there is not time today to unpack that word. And just like when I say law, or when I say good or bad in relation to people, we all have different definitions, we got a ton of different definitions of this word. I mean too many. Most of us have a definition of love that is really just basically sentimentality. I call it sloppy agape. You're not loving someone by letting them continue in their sin. Because sin is poison. End of story. But the whole law is summed up in one word. And it's love. And all you have to do is perfectly love your Creator 
and naturally love everyone who's not you. Let's go home. How's that working for y'all lately? Right? Romans 10, 13 will come up on the screen. I started it in there. Love does no harm to a neighbor. It's not in there? Really? Okay, I must have just text, put it in here. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, listen to this, love is the fulfillment of the law. Check this out. Love of neighbor fulfills the second table. Love of God takes care of the first table. There are two hinges on which all of the law hangs. Isn't it? I mean, he just boiled it down. All right, let me give you some application and a couple of questions and we're done. Here's the application. There's a reason he starts. He says the first one is love God. And here it is. When you get the, think of a cross right here behind me. The vertical beam. That's the relationship with, to God that you have or don't have. That relationship is the primary. And the horizontal is your relationship, what? With other people. Everyone who's not you. Right? Especially those people that, well, you know who they are. The difficult ones, yeah. Especially those people. But here's the deal, when the, and this is, this is so, as you look at the cross, when the vertical's right, guess what that does to the horizontal? Yeah, it does. But, but the negative of that is true. Hang with me. When a vertical's not right, the horizontal is a disaster. And here's why. It's all about the foundation. I assert that you cannot love your neighbor unless and until you love your creator. I've tried it. My own best uh, efforts at loving those who aren't me outside of being grounded in a love for God, they're a disaster because I'm fallen. Now, let me ask you a question. Why was this not a problem for Jesus? Because Jesus kept the law. Why was this not a problem for him? What was his relationship with his father? Perfect. In relation to love, how did that look? Yeah, second person of the Trinity. He loved the father perfectly man did he love the father and if you don't believe me just go read Matthew Mark Luke and John the stuff he did was all based on a love for the father can I ask you a question did he love people did he love people who weren't him okay now, now let me push back a little bit did he love those Pharisees he just punched in the eye yeah he did because they need a punch in the eye because they needed to know, hey, you know what? We're, we're handling this thing all wrong. Maybe we should stop and consider who this guy really might be. And that was their only hope for an eternity outside of hell. And the most loving thing Jesus could do is punch him right in the eye and say, you, you are blowing the second law in your relationship to me. Just as a man, much less Messiah, there's no time this morning, but guess what? He deals with the Messiah question next. He's not done with them. Oh, okay. 
because Jesus had a perfect relationship with the Father and, and love. He had a perfect love for everybody else. All right, I got to land this plane today, but let me ask you something. How's that working for you? You got a perfect love for God? Do, can you, could you stand in a mirror today and look at yourself and say, I love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I just, I, I, I see no, no time that I, I come off of that. I see no time where I love myself more than I love God. Can anybody in here do that with any sense of honesty and integrity? I can't. I couldn't. All right, well, let me ask you, how, how about the love for your neighbor? Everybody who's not you. Right? Oh, man. And God reminded me of that just yesterday. You know? Someone disappointed me. And oh, my goodness. And I do love them. I love, I love this person. But I didn't love what they did. And it was real tempting to act, to, to display <laughs> my, lack, my lack of appreciation for them and what they were doing. And I was getting ready to cross the line. But I've been studying this all week. And God reminded me, you love me, you got to love him. Do no harm. And I changed, I shifted gears quick. Not about me. Okay. Okay, if that's the answer to perfect obedience, is love. But it's got to be perfect. Personal, I got to do it. Perfect, no mistakes. Perpetual, all the time. I'm dead in the water. How about you? We're all going to hell. Right? On our own. The same man who said this and pulled it off becomes our law keeper. And because he died and literally became all of our sin on that cross. And God punished every sin that you've committed. And by the way, some of you need to hear this. Every sin you will commit. Past, present, and what? There ain't a sin left that Jesus didn't pay for. By the way, that's why... That's why when you do sin now, A, God's not surprised, and B, He loves you madly. And when you come back for a beating, He gives you a robe, a kiss, sandals, a ring, and says, kill the fatted calf, we're having a party. Stop running. Jesus did it. He did all that we couldn't do, and we rest in that. Oh, and look, when you rest in that, you can deal with a lot of boneheaded people. You really can. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing because it's not about you anymore. And people who have harmed you and hurt you. You can look at them and say, oh, how have I harmed and hurt my Savior? And yet he loved me so desperately. And the Father loves me so desperately. He's madly in love with me. And, and he's forgiven me of all. That person could never hurt me more than I have hurt my Savior and my Creator and my Redeemer. And because he loves me so well and so thoroughly, I'm, I cannot help but express a love for that person. Does that mean you're going to go out and have coffee with them? No. And the Bible never says that. You say, coffee's not in the Bible. Yes, it is. 
It's a whole book. It says he brews. The guy's supposed to brew the coffee. That was free. Uh, but no, it doesn't mean you got to be best friends with them. It means you, you have their best interest in mind. And let me tell you something. Some people have been hurt so bad that, that, the, that, 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 other, that offender's best interest would be for you to not be around them. That's fulfilling the law. That's the most loving thing you can do is separate yourself. And by the way, wives, I just want to throw this out there. When you and the hubby aren't agreeing, and sometimes he just, he just you know, has to get out, don't look at that as offensive. Sometimes that's the best he can do is to take himself out of that situation so as not to harm you with his words or actions. Don't take that personal. He's being valiant because he loves you. Now, don't let him not talk about it later when he's calmed down. That's being foolish on both of your parts. But I'm saying, sometimes the best thing you can do is walk away. And not be, so, so I, I'm not trying to throw this out there as a blanket and say, oh, you just got to, you know, you got to go have coffee with everybody. No, 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 no. But you have to have their best interest. Do no harm. That's the thing that the Lord put on my spirit yesterday. Do no harm to everyone who's not you. And in specific, this one situation, do no harm. And I'm going to tell you, I could do some harm. And my biggest weapon is my words. I can, it's bad. It's a flesh thing. And I got to, I got to, I got to put that on the cross all the time. But I can kill with my words. So can you. I'm just really, I got a PhD in it. I'm good at it. So many times those words will come to my mind and I have to say, in Jesus' name, that's not me. That don't look a thing like my Savior. And then I ask the Lord, give me, give me a replacement statement that, that does no harm to my neighbor. What's the greatest commandment? Love God and love everybody else who's not you. You do that, the law is taken care of. You can't do that. Jesus did so good news today. He took care of the law in your place. Do we have an awesome God or what? Huh? Is he amazing or what? That he would do that for us, knowing that we could not do that for ourselves. God is phenomenal this morning. That he would take care of the first two commandments in our place. And when we rest in Jesus, we can actually live this out.